0: the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world, greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. So amigos, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I've been podcasting one year and eight months so far, and in all that time, I have never failed to publish a new episode every two weeks, like clockwork, right? There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into making this happen, and part of that work is finding awesome fanfiction writers who want to come on and talk about their fics and fandoms. Not only that, but I do my best to talk to writers in lots of different fandoms so we get a nice mix of fandom representation. And in all the time I've been doing this, I have never failed to find a fan fiction writer to join us for an episode until now. Yeah, that's right. I am publicly admitting to my failure on the podcast because, you know, that's life. Sometimes that is just the way the cookie crumbles. I, um, uh, I recently finished Stranger Things Season 4 on Netflix, which inspired me to go back and reread all the amazing Herring Grove fan fiction that I found a few years ago during the pandemic. And oh my god, you guys, I fell back into the Herring Grove rabbit hole hard, and it's been all I've been reading for like the past month. Anyway. I really wanted to bring an amazing Herring Grove fan fiction writer on the show today. I've been trying for weeks to find someone, but the strangest thing happened. (laughs) No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) Nobody wanted to do it. I spoke to a lot of really wonderful people on Tumblr the last couple of weeks, but nobody wanted to come on and talk about Billy Hargrove. Listen. I am not here to call anybody out or make anybody feel bad. Folks have perfectly valid reasons for not wanting to come on a podcast. I completely understand and respect that. I'm just telling this story to explain why I'm doing a solo show today. Yeah, that's right. I am here alone and flying solo today. My choices were to either not publish an episode at all or to do a solo show. So, I decided to do a solo show today because I have so many feelings right now about Billy Hargrove and Steve Harrington that just have to come out one way or another. So uh, one of these days, I'll probably do another show with a steady writer, too, because I I really did enjoy Eddie Munson, but it would be remiss of me to cover steady without first talking about my Stranger Things OTP. Herring Grove. So, the good news is that I did get permission to review a wonderful Herring Grove fan fiction series today called Falling for You in Indie Fucking Anna by Lazy Baker. Lazy Baker, thank you so much for saving my ass and letting me squeal all over your fan fiction today. Seriously, guys, the writing on this thing is poignantly gorgeous. An angst-filled sucker punch to the gut that made me feel so alive, I can't even tell you. So I'm going to be reading out several passages from this thing, so you just wait. You'll see. I was going to start this episode the way I start all of them, by telling you a little bit about my own history with fan fiction, but then as I got to planning this episode out, I realized that if I did that this would get way too long and way too unwieldy, so I'll just lead with this. I've been reading fan fiction in so many different fandoms over the last 25 years, and I've noticed a little bit of a pattern in some of the characters I find myself drawn to. Uh, Severus Snape from Harry Potter, Loki from the MCU, Elliot Spencer from Leverage, And, of course, Billy Hargrove from Stranger Things. (laughs) Uh, A lot of these names don't come as a surprise to many of you. I I know I've talked about a lot of these characters already on the show. I make no apologies. I don't apologize for this, okay? I'm just pointing out that I seem to have some sort of penchant uh, for villain characters, right? These are all characters who are often considered villainous in their respective universes. They've done bad things, right? They're outsiders. I can see some of you looking at me sideways right now because I'm including Elliot Spencer on this list. And just let me let me explain. Look, all right. The Elliot Spencer that we see on Leverage is a reformed anti-hero, right? He commits crimes to help people in need, which is great. All right. I love it. But get Elliot Spencer alone in a room for five minutes and he'll be the first one to tell you. That before he joined the leverage team, he did terrible things under the direction of Damien Moreau. So he's killed people and he's trying, right? Doing his best to be a better person now, but he's done some bad shit. So, yeah, Elliot Spencer is absolutely on this list. Um, I think one of the reasons I love these villain characters so much is because of fanfiction. One thing fanfiction does really, really well is it lets us explore the possibility of tremendous character evolution. It lets us ask the question, what if something different happened in this character's life that completely changed their trajectory? And what better way to explore that than by taking a villainous character and giving them a redemption arc? Which brings me to the subject of Stranger Things and Billy Hargrove. I saw Stranger Things when it first came out, and I instantly fell in love with the 80s vibe. The synth music, the horror mystery of it all, the kid characters are endearing, and I think the storytelling is just fantastic. A lot of people use the word nostalgic when they talk about the show, right? Uh, The first season takes place canonically in 1983, which is the year I was born. So these characters are like absolutely, um, you know, Gen X characters. I'm a little young to remember much from the 80s, to be honest. I didn't read any Stranger Things fan fiction at that point when I first got into Stranger Things, uh, season one, but I certainly enjoy the show. And then Stranger Things Season 2 came out, and that's where it got really, really good. At least for me, right? Because that's where Billy Hargrove comes in, Season 2. The first time we meet Billy Hargrove in Episode 1, Season 2, he's popping out of his gorgeous blue Camaro and a badass pair of black boots to the soundtrack of rock you like a hurricane by the scorpions his clothes are cool his jewelry is cool his hair is cool everything about billy is just cool the costume designers for stranger things actually said that they designed his look based on Brat pack member rob Lowe and his character billy hicks right um Herring Grove is supposed to have that rugged, bad boy outsider look, right? And he does. My God. Um, so, first impressions, right? What do we know about Billy? He's from California. He just moved to Hawkins, Indiana with his dad, Neil, his stepmom, Susan, and his stepsister, Max. He speeds around town in his muscle car, Camaro, with the music blasting and drives his little sister places. Uh, he's loud, he's obnoxious and mean, he trades insults every chance he gets, and he carries himself like, there's this massive well of violence inside of him that is just itching to get out, right? He likes to fight, throw his weight around, he's a bully. I mean, you look at this kid and you think, my God, this kid is such a massive prick. Your typical, like, small town troublemaker, Right? And you just know that the show is setting him up to be the villain in someone's story. And uh, if the script had gone the way it was originally written, that's all we would have had. But Dacre Montgomery, the actor who plays Billy Hargrove, he wanted the character to have more depth than that. Uh, Dacre talked about being bullied himself when he was growing up and wanting to find a level of empathy and understanding with his bullies. So um, Dacre wanted to humanize Billy. So he actually pushed for rewrites of the script that gave us insight into Billy's backstory and why he's so full of rage and hate. Uh, Spoiler alert, (laughs) it isn't necessarily hate that's driving him here. It's fear. There's this infamous scene in season two where Billy gets into it with his dad, Neil. We know that one of Billy's responsibilities is to watch his sister after school while the parents are still at work. And in one episode, Max ends up sneaking out of the house while Billy is supposed to be watching her. So his parents come home. Max isn't there. When they ask Billy about it, he has no idea where she is. And the fact that Max isn't there when she's supposed to be Is automatically, of course, Billy's fault, right? His dad starts yelling and getting in his face. He throws his son against a bookshelf and calls him a homophobic slur. He hits Billy across the face and orders him to go find his sister. There are tears building up in Billy's eyes the entire time that his dad is speaking. And the moment his parents leave the room, he starts to cry. And it's just this intensely painful moment of utter despair Uh, sometimes in all the fog of uh, Billy's douchebaggery we forget that he's just a kid 17 years old right he doesn't get to control where he lives or what his family is like he can't control his father's violence in the show Billy does go out to look for Max and he does eventually find her at the buyer's house with Steve Harrington and the rest of the party, which I'm just saying, I was the older sibling in my family too, and from an older sibling perspective, the whole situation smells super sus, all right? If I found my baby sister in a stranger's house with Steve the King Harrington, I would have laid my fucking hands on him too, all right? Just saying. And that's what happens, right? Billy and Steve get into this epic fistfight. Max breaks a vase over Billy's head and drugs him with a syringe cocktail. And then they all steal Billy's Camaro and escape off into the night, leaving him there alone and passed out at the buyer's house. I saw this tweet recently where someone asked, Can you imagine the shitstorm? Neil must have rained down on Billy. When he eventually made it back home that night on foot with no car and no Macs. And uh, incidentally, (laughs) that's where Lazy Baker's fan fiction series begins. The series is made up of three fics and the first two are shorter. So I'm just going to briefly cover some of the highlights from the first two fics. And then I'm going to dig a little deeper into the meat of the third fic. Yeah. So the first story in the series is called We Can't Just Go On Running Away, and it starts right here, with this scene in the first section. It's a long walk back home. The lights in the house are still on. There's a very specific type of dread swelling inside of Billy. It's familiar and keeps him rooted to the curb until he sees a curtain in the front window move. He braces himself and expects the worst, and gets the worst. Because if there's one thing Neil Hargrove doesn't half-ass when it comes to parenting, it's letting his son know just how disappointed he is in him. Billy keeps it together. Keeps his mouth shut. Keeps his hands loose and at his sides. Says what he's supposed to. Takes it. Shit happens, Billy thinks. The same fucking routine as always. And it'll happen again and again and again. So let's just get this the fuck over with already. He wants to pass out on his bed and whatever tranquilizer Mac shot him up with is wearing off, and he'd really like to ride the numbing train into sleep for the next three hours before he has to go to school. A test in chemistry he doesn't want to miss. But that's only if his dad doesn't knock him out first. Neil gets sluggish. His fists get slower. And eventually, he tires himself out and takes Billy by the back of his jacket and shoves him outside. Slams the door shut before Billy can even turn his head to look. Susan is crying somewhere in the house. Billy has to bite his bloody, split-open lip to keep from laughing. (laughs) What a way to start, right? Yeah. So Billy's outside, smoking for hours. Because he can't go back in. His dad shoved him out, right? Eventually, in the story, Steve and Max show up in Billy's car. Billy gets out to meet Steve on the curb. Steve is standing there with his face all fucked up and that bloody murder bat slung over his shoulder, right? And it's funny because this is actually a pretty important little scene where Billy has this choice to make. Does he try to get revenge on Steve for making his whole night hell? Does he yell, spit out insults? You know, Steve doesn't back down from Billy in this scene at all. He plants his feet and he just stands there. With that fucking bat, I love this line right here. This one, it goes: Steve's confused, giving him that doughish, wide-eyed look. But then his eyes harden, and he's glaring. And the look he gives Billy right then fucking ignites the entire world inside of him. Love that line. Billy not might understand the full range of feelings that he's having for Steve right here in this scene, but he loves Steve's defiant fire. Right? Loves that he's not backing down. So he invites Steve to go get high with him. (laughs) And surprisingly, Steve accepts, right? This is where Lazy Baker really starts to set up the tone and the dynamic for the whole series. And uh, I love it. Steve and Billy drive off somewhere secluded in Hawkins, and uh, I think it's the Quarry, actually, and they smoke a joint together. They trade barbs and insults back and forth the whole time, which is just fantastic. And there's this palpable tension. Um, Billy notices everything about Steve, and Steve notices everything about Billy. It's like this delicious <laughs> love-hate relationship where they aren't friends at all right but they can't help being fascinated and intrigued by each other so uh the next day at school steve accidentally locks his keys in his car and uh, billy is the one who happens to be there in the parking lot when Steve realizes that his keys are locked in. Uh, So Billy picks the lock on Steve's car to get the door open, and they end up smoking another joint together afterwards, right? So that's two encounters now with Steve and Billy that don't end in a fist fight. (laughs) It's just fantastic. And that's how the first fic in the series ends. And then there's the second fic in the series. It's called, I'll Fall For You Soon Enough, I Resolve To Love. And uh, this fic opens with Steve. He's having such a hard time of it, poor dude. Uh, remember, per the canon timeline, this is the point where Steve and Nancy have recently broken up. Nancy is dating Jonathan now, which is a tough thing for Steve to watch. Then there's this epic fight with Billy and the Demodog. I mean, it's just been like this wild ride for Steve. The first chapter of this fic starts with Steve being really, really irritated because Billy is ignoring him at school, like not even looking at him, right? Not talking to him, just ignoring his presence altogether, which really rankles Steve because he wants to be noticed and acknowledged by Billy, you know? He kind of likes the way it felt before when they were smoking together and having their little talks. Uh, and now he's being completely dodged, which sucks, you know. So the kids and Steve, they go out to the woods to bury that dead demodog. And then they go out for ice cream afterwards in the story. Uh, when they get to the parking lot of this ice cream shop, they find Billy <laughs> in the parking lot, just kind of chilling alone in his car. Um and Steve is just really pissed off at this point about Billy ignoring him for like a couple of weeks or whatever. So he goes right up to Billy's open car window and throws a cookie at him. I think it's a snickerdoodle. Uh, a peace offering, he says. And you know what? It kind of works. The next day, Billy finds Steve in the school library and they have this conversation um, Steve admits that he's failing English and has to rewrite an entire English essay to try and get his grade up. This is also the scene where we learn that Billy likes to read. He's good at English and actually has a 4.0 grade average, which is hilarious to me because this is something I've noticed about Herring Grove fan fiction in general. It's like the entire Herring Grove fandom has this collective headcanon where Billy secretly has good grades and actually tries hard at school. All the fan fictions I've read so far are like this, and <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's super cute. I like it. Uh, anyway, later, Steve is driving the kids somewhere around in a remote area of Hawkins, the woods, probably, and uh, it's raining, like, really hard. Mud and water are everywhere. Steve's BMW ends up getting stuck in the, in the mud out there in the woods. And uh, Steve and the kids are trying to figure out, like, how do we get Steve's car unstuck here, right? And they, they can't do it. Um, so it turns out that Dustin has his walkie-talkie in his backpack. He manages to get a call out to Lucas and Max for help. And guess who shows up in the rain to help? Billy Hargrove with Lucas and Max in the backseat of the Camaro. This is actually a really great scene because um, this is where we learn that Billy actually did go out of his way to apologize to Lucas for being an asshole at the buyer's house. And he made up with Max, too. And now he's helping out by chaperoning their dates. Steve hears all this and he ends up telling Billy that he's tired of this hot, cold rivalry that they have going on. He's just over it, right? He suggests that they be friends instead. Which, I know, a novel concept, right? Uh, Billy does pull Steve's car out of the mud with his Camaro and it's all good. He never actually verbally agrees with Steve's suggestion to be friends, but he does tell Steve that he'll come over and hang out with him at his house on Friday night if Steve gets an A on his next English paper. (laughs) And oh my god, Steve tries so hard. To rise up to that challenge, right? He wants to get that A so fucking bad. He actually tries hard and he studies and he puts in extra time at the library. He blows off hanging out with the kids so he can work on this essay. And all this time, he starts to notice that suddenly Billy isn't just ignoring him at school. Oh, no, 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 no. Billy is actually randomly showing up in the hallways outside of Steve's classes, even when he has no reason to be there. Sus, right? (laughs) But in a cute way. By the time Friday rolls around, Steve is so goddamn proud of this essay that he's crafted. And he's nervous because things have been going pretty well between him and Billy, and he just wants to get that A. So Billy will come over and hang out with him like he said that he would. But then he gets his grade back, and it's not an A. It's a C. (laughs) Uh. Well, guess what? Billy leaves a note in Steve's locker saying that he's coming over anyway. And on Friday night, Steve waits and waits and waits. But Billy doesn't show up when he said he would. And hours go by. It's past midnight, and Steve is absolutely sure that Billy has backed out at this point. But then, Billy does show up, hours late, only he doesn't show up conventionally, like, through the front door. Oh no. He climbs through Steve's upstairs bedroom window, high and piss drunk, and ends up cutting his hand up pretty bad on the window on his way in. This whole scene is so dramatic because it's the very first time that Steve sees Billy vulnerable. Right? Billy's all fucked up on drugs and booze, and he ends up puking and crying in Steve's bathroom before passing out in there, and his hands bleeding out all over the place. It's a shit show. And Steve is so confused because Billy Hargrove is crying in his upstairs bathroom, right? Anyway, Steve gets Billy to wake up and then gets him cleaned up and takes care of his injured hand. And the whole entire time, Billy is so sloppy drunk. That he ends up making some very drunken sexual advances at this point. Um, but you know what? Steve is such a gentleman. He turns Billy down because he doesn't feel like it would be right to take advantage. With, uh, with Billy obviously drunk and not in his right mind. So later uh, the next day. Billy wakes up all hungover and absolutely horrified because he knows he made a huge, gigantic fool of himself the night before. And he is so sure that Steve is going to throw all of it back into his face and tell him to fuck off. But Steve doesn't do that. He's so nice about it. We find out later that um, Billy's dad clocked him in the face pretty bad the night that he climbed through Steve's window. And that's. Why Billy was drinking and showed up to Steve's house drunk. He refuses to tell Steve that, of course, um, doesn't want Steve to know that his dad hits him. I loved this second installment of the series because it really felt like the first time that we see Billy a little off kilter. Some of the paragraphs here are from uh, a Billy's point of view, and that's where you really get to see the anxious fear and self loathing under all of Billy's swagger. He may act like he really doesn't give a shit most of the time, but the truth is that he really does like Steve and really cares about what Steve thinks. Steve says they're friends so casually, and Billy just can't fathom that because Billy's whole world is violence and rage. In Billy's world... You can't just get into an epic fist fight with someone and then a month later they forgive you just like that. I'd say that Billy's mood in this middle fic is wary, yet there's this little spark of hope he's holding on to. And I think it's brave for someone like Billy to decide that a tiny spark of hope is worth exploring. So the next and final installment of this series is the largest yet, coming in at 12 long Glorious chapters. The meat of the story is here. And in my opinion, some of the most gorgeous paragraphs of the series are here too. It's called Take a Chance with Me. It will be all right. So, in this first chapter, there's this little detail that Lazy Baker put in, which I love. You know how Billy has a pierced ear, right? Well, apparently he accidentally lost an earring while he was at Steve's house that night. Steve's dad finds it and gives it to Steve. But does Steve give that earring back to Billy the next time he sees him? Oh, no. No, 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 he does not. (laughs) He keeps that damn earring and he carries it around in his pocket like a good luck charm. And the entire story, he's constantly shoving his hand into his pocket just to make sure that the earring is, is still there, that he didn't lose it. And I love this little detail because it reminds me of something. Um, Long, long ago, my beautiful ex-wife gave me a mood ring. It was one of those little rings you get out of a vending machine for 25 cents. But uh, I was having a little bit of a panic attack one day. She could see that I was having a hard time. So she gave me this dumb little mood ring, right, to make me feel better. It became my emotional support trinket. I carried that damn thing around in my pocket for years before we ever started dating. So uh, when I saw Lazy Baker put that little detail (laughs) into this story, it really just made me smile. Okay, so I need to set you up for this last fic really quick, just to recap. Um, Up to this point, all the canon events from Stranger Things Season 2, Episode 8 have happened. This is Steve's senior year of high school. Steve and Nancy are broken up, and Nancy is dating Jonathan Pyre. Okay, now, the thing I love about this third fic is the incredible Steve POV that we get. It really digs down into where Steve's headspace is at this point in time. Like this paragraph here. It's Friday, and Steve may be dumb, and he may not graduate, but he's smart enough to know it's not the best idea to start the weekend off with telling his mom he doesn't want to go to college. And he is definitely not going to go to college. And if he works for his dad, he might just drive himself into the quarry. He's danced around it, sugarcoated it before when he'd told her, maybe college isn't for me, or not sure I have the GPA for that one. She'd never listened. She's as bad as his dad. She wants Steve to go to college. He wants Steve to work at his company. Steve doesn't know shit in general, and he knows even less about commercial real estate. Neither one of them listen to him. Sometimes he thinks if he said it outright, she might actually hear him. The trouble comes when she doesn't. Or she'd tell his dad, and Steve has plans for this weekend that can involve being taken captive by his parents for a conversation that none of them want to have. But it'll still take days, and ends with Steve in a tie. With a nine to five, and he's not nearly as pretty as Dolly Parton to make that work. (laughs) I loved that Dolly Parton reference. It's so great. Or there's this paragraph here that I also love. This paragraph Mrs. Cobb is serious, and she cares too much, and she's putting too many eggs in Steve's basket when she asks both of them, What do you want your future to be? She doesn't just memorize their names and remember the troublesome ones and the favorites who get A's on every assignment. She believes in him and in Carol. Mrs. Cobb wants what's best for both of them. Steve wishes she had asked this at the beginning of the year when he was more sure of himself and where he was going. He'd have an answer for her and not just an awkward laugh that's pushed out by the sheer panic of not being certain of anything anymore. I loved those two paragraphs because they're such a fantastic description of what senior year of high school can be like. In your senior year of high school, people are constantly asking you what your plans are for the future. Are you going to college? Where are you going to college? What do you want to study? Are you getting a job? Who are you going to be for the rest of your life? And yeah, in in some ways, it can be exciting. You know, it could be an exciting time because you're young. You have the whole world open to you and your whole future in front of you. But for a lot of us, that senior year of high school is also a time of intense, uncertainty and fear because there are so many choices to make and they seem so big and so important. You see these huge changes looming just around the corner and that can be really scary, right? Uh, And then poor Steve. (laughs) He's dealing with lots of other issues besides his future here. There's this scene in this fic where uh, Steve is in the car <laughs> with Billy and they have a very drunk Keith in the backseat. And Keith starts talking, right? And he says, greatest, the greatest fall in Hawkins. Jock to, to loner, Keith says, the words tumbling out in a ramble. What did, what happened to you? You. You. Keith stretches you out into a long ear-shredding note. Billy reaches his hand back without taking his eyes off the road to shut Keith up, pushing him back into the seat. Steve's got a real honest answer, and he can't say it. Has it locked behind an NDA and the common sense he relies on these days to keep his mouth shut. The world got bigger, and I figured out just how small I am, Steve thinks. Oh, and see, that was the paragraph that really got me thinking about Steve's situation here and his fall from grace. He used to be on top of the world in Little Hawkins, Indiana, right? His family is rich. He's the most popular guy in high school. He dates all the prettiest girls. He gets invited to all the parties. Star of the high school basketball team. A real high school big shot, you know? I mean, his nickname was literally King Steve for fuck's sake. Uh, And then he gets involved with these little middle school kids and all the crap from the upside down. And suddenly, everything changes for him. He literally fought monsters and won. But he can't tell anybody. And the whole experience fundamentally changes who Steve is as a person. Because suddenly he understands just how big And precarious the world can be, and how small he is in comparison. And then you throw in all the other stuff. He and Nancy break up. Steve isn't spending time with his old friends anymore. His bad grades are starting to catch up with him. And then, out of nowhere, Billy shows up in Hawkins and makes this huge splash. Everybody notices Billy. Everybody wants to hang out with Billy. Billy's a star basketball player, yada, yada, yada. His presence alone is enough to yank King Steve's crown right off his head. He used to be the high school kingpin, and now he's not. And that can be outrageously disorienting when your entire identity falls apart like that. And to top it all off, Steve is so goddamn lonely. He's an only child and his parents are never around. They're aloof and they're distant. So Steve pretty much looks after himself. I think that Lazy Baker did a tremendous job here showing us just how isolated and lonely Steve feels. And that's where Billy comes into this. I love this paragraph here because um, it sums this up perfectly. It goes. Billy drums his fingers to the beat of the music, drives 20 over the speed limit, takes each turn too fast, his foot ginger on the brake and lead on the gas, enjoying the twists and turns in the road, laughing when Steve has to grab the door to keep from hurtling into him. They're going nowhere, and everywhere. Steve tells Billy to take a left, just because. And Billy will turn right, just because. There's this quiet between them that settles in the Camaro one of those silences where it feels good to not talk and just let the music play. let the vibration of the engine lull his head into thinking it's okay to watch Billy drive. How his hands hold the wheel, the way his fingers move when he shifts gears. And it could be okay. It is. Billy's got his eyes on the road, heavy-lidded, slack in his seat, every muscle in him relaxed. In the dark, it's easier to miss all the little moments on Billy's face. The slight way he moves his body now, that the anger's gone, and there's no kids and no drunken classmates in the back seat degrade on his nerves. The one Steve does manage to catch reverberates, lingering like a hand on Steve's wrist. He's not alone. Not out here. Yes, right? (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. I love it. See, Billy's different from everyone else in town, right? He's a transplant from California. He's loud and irreverent and feral. It's funny because Billy's a kingpin too, in his own right, but in an outsider kind of way that's grating and raw. Steve is drawn in by it. Billy brings vibrant color back into Steve's life. This entire last fic is this gorgeous slow burn collection of linear moments in Steve and Billy's life throughout the rest of the school year. They hang out together in random places all around Hawkins. They talk and harass each other. The dialogue and the banter between the two of them is just wonderfully imaginative and sharp. They're getting to know each other bit by bit. One of my favorite scenes is where Steve and Billy drive out to the Starcourt Mall construction site at night. The mall is still in the process of being built at this point, and they're bored, right? looking for something to do, so they decide to trespass on this construction site, as boys do, and they decide to climb up the scaffolding to the highest part of the structure. This paragraph here is just perfect. They make it as high as they can go, and Steve follows Billy, slowly and as carefully and sure-footed as ever. And when Billy walks out into the large metal beam to the very end and sits, His feet swinging freely hundreds and thousands of miles above the ground. And Billy glows, shining under moonlight with dimples and bright white teeth and ruddy cheeks and the happiest smile Steve's ever seen on him. That Steve returns genuinely, fully. He can't seem to stop. It's cold, but Steve doesn't feel cold. Billy's alive in a way Steve didn't know he wasn't anymore. He feels warm. He might fall asleep tonight grinning. He can't imagine sleeping at all after this. And then the scene goes on for a bit, and it continues here with this next part. Steve pulls back, warms his hands under his arms, licks his chapped lips, focuses on the stars he doesn't know the names to, the horizon where the forest and the sky disappear into each other, feels another fresh tug of disappointment, and does his best to let it go. He admires the stars. For a moment, Steve settles. In his skin, in his place in Hawkins, in the roles he's meant to fill, the need to prove himself runs off. All the way up here, above the world and all those ugly truths, with Billy beside him, Steve finally sheds that itching anxiety he's grown so used to and finds peace. He holds his arms above his head, fingers spread wide and welcoming, and when Billy grabs his shoulder, laughing and telling Steve, you're fucking wild, man. Fucking wild. It feels a lot like flying. God, the imagery in this scene is just gorgeous. Because the only time that you really see Steve light up like this is when he's with Billy. There's just something about Billy being present that cuts through all of Steve's bullshit and grounds him. And what about Billy, anyway? Well, Billy has a lot of stuff he's dealing with, too. Imagine, if you will, suddenly moving from California to small town, middle of nowhere, Indy, fucking Indiana. And look, I'm not dogging on Indiana, by the way. Never been there. I'm sure it's beautiful. But I grew up in California, just like Billy did. Southern California, near the ocean. And let me tell you something. With all the nostalgic fervor that I am capable of expressing, I left my heart there, at Huntington Beach, in that place on the edge where the waves meet the sand. There are parts in this fic where Lazy Baker writes Billy painfully yearning to go back. He's just counting down the days until he graduates when he can finally say adios to Neil and Indiana and go back home. There's actually this little paragraph here in this last fic from Billy's point of view that I thought was just beautiful. It goes like this. Anyone who voluntarily lives in Indiana is the biggest, dumbest moron of the century. He hates Indiana. He hates Hawkins. Hates the snow. Hates the cold. Hates Neil. Hates Max. Susan Too. There's not one person in the whole universe he doesn't want to axe with his whole heart. And he shovels the snow aggressively and finds love in the grating scrape of metal on cement. (laughs) I loved that last line, especially finds love in the grating scrape of metal on cement, because it's a poignant metaphor for something I discovered about Billy as I was reading this fic. And it's about. Coping mechanisms. Um, Billy's relationship with his father Neil is egregiously destructive. Right? Neil is violent, and he's mean, and he beats on Billy every chance that he gets. Billy's known he's queer for a while at this point in the story, but he has to hide that part of himself away because his dad will literally kill him if he finds out. And in the eighties, it was not okay to be out. So yeah, his home life is a mess. And the thing is, when it's your own dad doing these things to you and you're a 17-year-old kid, you don't have a whole lot of control to prevent it from happening. Violence is all that Billy has ever known. And so when his feelings become overwhelming or when his thoughts become too much or, you know, he starts feeling helpless, Billy has learned to cope with that. By deliberately getting into fights. Because then at least he can distract himself with a different kind of pain. A pain of his own choosing. There's this, uh, this scene here in the fic that just shows this so perfectly. It takes place during winter break. School's out for the holidays. So Billy isn't seeing Steve every day like he normally would. He's been stuck at home with his abusive father, which I'm sure was its own special brand of dangerous. Billy just has to get out of the house. So he ends up going to some random party in a barn somewhere, and he's just buzzing to throw down, right? The scene goes like this. He grabs Tommy by his jacket, jerks him close, gets him staggering, feels his flinch, sees the bruises just under his collar still there, still fucking there. Billy can taste copper on his tongue already, can hear the high-pitched ring in his ear, The heady rush of having someone push back seeps into his veins in anticipation, and Steve in his head. Dumb, annoying, golden boy Steve. Bopping his dorky head to the pop music, knowing all the lyrics and singing all the words on key because it's good, Hargrove, branch out a little, will ya? Reminding him Tommy's a punching bag and it just ain't right. There's not a fight if there's no chance the other guy will win, Steve tells Billy. Just like he tells Billy, I like you, on a loop, every single day for ten whole damn days now, with nowhere for Billy to hide, and no way for Billy to convince Steve to run the other way. He's wrong. He's messed up. He's got it all wrong. Billy wants to rip his own hair out, to scream until he can't anymore. To gas it to Steve's and grab him by the shoulders and shake all of that supposed common sense back into him. He tries to ignore the Steve making Billy's head his home and does just about as good a job as he did with the real Steve. I like you. Billy can feel Steve's hand on his arm, his fingers in his hair, the heat of his body and his hands steadying the hurricane wreaking havoc inside him. Simple as that. Easy as that. Jesus Christ, Billy wants to die. Billy shoves Tommy away. His back hits the barn wall with a hard thud and he grabs onto some kid nearby to pull himself up. Scrambles to his feet to flee. Billy swings around, heaving. The barn's packed full of people. Plenty of second choices and he's quick to make his decision. Goes off instinct. Sniffs out the top dog who's not all bark. So yeah, <laughs> Billy gets into a fight here in this scene with the biggest guy he can find. And then Lazy Baker writes this. And he feels stellar. Like this, it's the best he's felt in days. Or that tab's finally fucking giving him some kick. Tomorrow he'll be sore. His bones will creak. He'll be pissing blood, chewing gingerly at whatever new recipe Susan wants him to try. And he'll be lucky if he hasn't broken something. Has no idea what he'll do if he did. But right now, tonight, all he is is a body with two feet on the ground, topped off with an empty head, worn out, wrung dry, and left quiet. I loved this scene so much because it shows Billy falling into this usual habit of his, His usual coping mechanism of getting into these fights when his brain starts itching. But these scenes also show Billy starting to notice that Steve's physical presence in his life has the same effect, but without the violence. Did you catch that? Steve's hands steady, the hurricane wreaking havoc inside him. Simple as that. Easy as that. (laughs) There's another paragraph in here somewhere uh, that hits the same theme because I love hitting the same themes, and it goes like this. That ugly thing inside Billy shrinks when Steve's breathing the same air as him. That storm breaks. The chaos is different. It blooms inside him, warms him in the Indiana cold, and keeps him from falling on his ass. Steve says, I like you, in his head. Billy wants to say it back and mean it in every way there is. <laughs> I love that. I love that line, in every way there is. So gorgeous. There's just one little problem, though, with this. Billy doesn't think he deserves a happy life with Steve. Like, at all, right? It's pretty clear, per the subtext of this fic, that Billy has a pretty low opinion of himself. Uh, remember the part I mentioned? In the second fic of the series, where Billy climbs through Steve's window on a Friday night, right, he didn't go over there to declare his feelings for Steve or to ask him to be boyfriends or anything like that. He went over there fully intending to have a one time encounter with Steve Harrington because he's absolutely convinced that he doesn't deserve any more than that. And cannot fathom a world where Steve might actually like him as much as he likes Steve. There's this little scene here in this fic that kind of shows this. Where uh, Billy says, I'm not some fucking idiot who can't see shit for what it is. I know I'm hard to like. Can't say two words without pissing someone off. That's a load of bullshit, Steve says. And none of that means it's impossible. I mean, look at me. I like you. Billy looks at him, startled, wide-eyed. Steve can see the whole ocean. His heart thuds, shakes his eardrums, knocks him back. Oh, and then there's this scene in another part of the fic, along those same lines. Uh, It goes like this. You gotta stop. Billy's voice cracks. Giving me shit, being nice. Billy spits the word out, disgusted by it. Man, not one thing is right about any of this. Taken aback. Steve reels. And what's this? He says, quiet, then loudly. What do you mean by this, Billy? If you don't say it, I will. Billy shoves the bike to the asphalt. It scrapes against the road on the drop. He grabs Steve first by his shirt, then holds him tight by his jaw, fingers pinching red marks and bruises into his skin. Steve grips Billy by his shoulders, ready to hold his own. But Billy turns Steve sideways, keeps him there. He bites Steve's cheek. We're wrong too, Billy says it, right against him, breath hot, spit cooling in the night air, lips to Steve's ear so he doesn't have to look at him. Don't care about me, Steve. You're just going to fuck yourself over in the end. Oh, (laughs) isn't that devastating? Billy wants nothing more than to be near Steve, breathing the same air. But at the same time, he works pretty hard to keep the walls up between them. It's like he just cannot accept the possibility of anything more than simply being in Steve's orbit. And I'm sure that there are many reasons for this, as we've already discussed. Internalized homophobia, fear of his father finding out, the lousy way that he sees himself. Take your pick. The bulk of this story is really just Steve trying to gently tear down Billy's walls. Brick by sodding brick. There's this um, point in the story where Steve is in shop class, and he's trying to make a baseball bat. It's challenging to get right, and Steve is struggling with it. So uh, one day, the shop class teacher tries to give him a little advice, and it goes like this. You've corrupted the integrity of the grain, Mr. Lanow sums up, and Steve nods. Yeah, of course. Thanks. No shit. Gets the guilty sensation in the pit of his gut right after the thought comes and leaves him to flop around in the dirt. Mr. Lanau picks out another piece of lumber from his stockpile and hands it off to Steve. Be gentle. Don't force it. Kindness is the key. And another pat on the shoulder. A fresh plume of sawdust. The taste of apple cider. You'll get it this time. Mm -mm -mm. And the thing is (laughs) that this woodchop advice becomes this metaphor for Steve's entire relationship with Billy in this fanfiction. Kindness and patience really are the key to winning Billy over in time. I think that this paragraph here sums it all up best. It goes like this. Billy's rough around the edges, rough nearly all the way through. He's mean. He's an asshole he tries. He's the guy that sticks around and makes Steve laugh, and makes him realize there's parts of himself he still has to meet. I think that last line may have been my favorite in the entire fucking fic. I wish the same thing for all of us, really. If you haven't already, I hope that you all meet someone, someday, who will show you parts of yourself you have yet to meet. This fic series is sweet and it's wonderful and everything you could ever ask for in a slow burn like this. I loved watching Billy melt bit by bit and I loved watching Steve meet new parts of himself in the process. I wish that I could read this entire fic out loud and tell you every little thing that happens but we would be here a really long time if I did that so I won't spoil the ending for you but I can promise you that the ending is beautiful and satisfying, and I can't wait for you to read the last three paragraphs of the fig for yourself. Before we end off, I wanted to say a a few more things about Billy Hargrove. I know for a lot of people, Billy is a complicated and controversial character. He's hard to love for all of the same reasons Billy thinks he's hard to love. It's funny when you think about the similarities between Steve and Billy, because remember, Steve started out as an asshole, too. Remember season one? He was absolutely awful, right? The difference is that Steve was given a canonical second chance at redemption because he was allowed to live and evolve from where he started. Billy was not given that same chance in canon because they killed him. And he was only 17 years old when he died. I was a teenage dirtbag at 17 years old, too. Okay, I barely knew the difference between my head and my ass. But time is sometimes the gift that we need to evolve and change into something better. I like to think that Billy could have changed too. He could have healed the pain and the rage and gotten better if he had just been given the chance. So I suppose that's where the magical power of fan fiction comes in, right? You Harrington fic writers took this kid and you have held him so gently in the palm of your hands, You've imagined him a future that isn't bleak, a future that all of us who can relate want to believe in for Billy and for ourselves as well. There's this article that I found the other day by Virgil Rose, published June 22nd on Medium.com. It's called The Queer Rage of Billy Hargrove. I'll post a link up in the show notes in case you want to read it. It's excellent. But um, there's a part of the article here where Virgil says, quote, Billy Hargrove is a complicated character. I might be labeled problematic for this, but I can't be quiet anymore. Dacre Montgomery fought for Billy Hargrove to be more human than the Duffers wanted to write him. So, to Dacre, even if you never meant to, you gave a closeted queer trans man the first glimpse of the trauma and rage he kept bottled up inside. A rage that was, quite frankly, killing him. And I'm not the only one. You have given a community a character in which we can see ourselves and our queer rage for the very first time, and I, for one, will never be able to thank you enough. Close quote. And when I think about Billy's rage, I often go back to Billy's death scene at the end of season three, when Billy faces down that monster for the final time. You can see in his eyes. But he's not just facing down the evil from the upside down. In that moment, Billy is facing down every instance of fear, pain, and violence that he's ever experienced. He's facing down his father and his mother and every other person in his life who ever failed him. And he does not meet his death quietly. He does not. Go gently into that good night with a whimper. He goes there feral and defiant and howling. That word, by the way, (laughs) always makes me think of that famous poem, Howl, by Allen Ginsberg. I won't read it, uh, but it's an excellent poem, Protesting Exploitation and Repression. I'll link it up in the show notes in case you want to see that, but I think... That Billy Hargrove got under my skin so fast because there's a little bit of Billy in me too. In all of us, really. It's that helpless rage that we feel sometimes about all the shitty things that happen to us on this dumb little planet we call home and how we're powerless to stop a lot of it. The difference is that most of us hide that rage. We keep it in. We keep it hidden. We don't let it out like Billy does. And maybe that's why I like him so much. He really doesn't care about niceties or fitting in, doesn't really give a shit about socially acceptable ways to express his feelings. And maybe there's something liberating about that. Maybe, just maybe, every now and then, we all need to look our own monsters in the face and howl. One last shout-out to the writer of this fanfiction series. Thank you, Lazy Baker, for letting me romp around in your universe today. I'll have a link to the fic series in the show notes, so please go read the series if you haven't already. Give Lazy Baker some love. This is Chaos Blue signing off the air. You can find the fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, and I can be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.